This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the award-winning podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. I know a lot of you love stories of entrepreneurs, and we have a great one for you. Joining me on the show is Stephanie Stuckey, CEO of Stuckey's Corporation and a Georgia pecan grower. So depending on how you'd like to start phrasing pecan or pecan, or I'll let her sort that out during the show. But Stuckey's grandfather built Stuckey's into an empire, a roadside oasis that redefined America. How did he do it? What lessons can we learn from W.S. Stuckey and how can those be applied today? How is that next generation at Stuckey's taking wisdom from the past to help define that future? Stephanie has worked both in law and politics as an environmental lawyer, served as Georgia's representative in the U.S. House of Representatives, and as director of Mayor's Office of Sustainability and Chief Resilience Officer for the City of Atlanta. She became CEO of Stuckey's in November of 2019 and is the third generation CEO of the family business, which not only produces and sells its iconic pecan candies and snacks, but also grows some of its own ingredients. Stuckey reinvented the brand and expanded it beyond its retail locations in e-commerce and other channels. Stephanie joined us as our closing keynote speaker at the Blueberry Summit in Nashville last year, and those of us in attendance were inspired and motivated by her words. So it's a great honor and privilege to have you back, Stephanie. Thank you for joining me on The Business of Blueberries. Thank you, Casey. The pleasure is all mine. It's, it's always great to be around other people who are connected to the land and grow produce. I feel like this is very much a homecoming, just spending some time with you. Well, I, I really enjoyed your time as our keynote in Nashville. You did a great job. And I know that not everybody was with us in Nashville. So that's part of what inspired this. You know, let's see if we can grab Stephanie and uh, see if she can join us on the podcast because we do enjoy a larger audience here on the show. So I appreciate this. And uh, and for those who weren't with us in Nashville, maybe we start with some history of Stuckey's, kind of take us back to those early days about the company before you took it over as CEO. And then certainly we can talk about you know, now that you're the CEO and where you're taking things. So, Sure, I'd be happy to. Bit of a trip in the Wayback Machine to 1937 during the Great Depression when my grandfather was desperate for work and work was not in abundance back in the 1930s. But one thing was in abundance and folks who are connected to the land will relate to this. Georgia is the number one state for pecan production. We also have a very healthy blueberry industry as well, but we're the number one state for pecans. It happened to be a bumper year for pecans. And so he started buying pecans or pecans. I saw where you kind of got into the controversy there in the intro. I will say what my grandfather always said about how you pronounce P-E-C-A-N is they're pecans when you pick them and pecans when you sell them. Or he would say it depends on the price, right? You know, back in his day, it'd be like $2 a pound. Today, it'd be like $10 a pound. But when it hits a certain price, you can 
change the way you say it and sound a little more highfalutin with pecan. Call it whatever you want. Well, you heard yeah. it here first. So he was buying those from farmers and his family grew pecans as well. We still have that orchard in the family and it's a very small amount of the pecans that we produce annually, but the ones from our orchard do end up in the Stuckey's product. So we still do grow our pecans. It's just in the family. It's not part of the business, but he grew from that initial roadside stand where he was selling his pecans and my grandmother started making candy. So pralines and fudge and pecan log rolls. So he grew from that to what became the country's first roadside retail chain. So before there was Quick Trip or Pilot or Wawa or Bucky's, there were Stuckies. And at our peak in the 1970s, we had 360 stores in 40 states that sold not only pecan snacks and candies, but a quick hot meal and lots of fun kitschy souvenirs, which people still remember to this day. Rubber alligators and coonskin caps and wee wee willies and just sort of the yes and no games and car bingo, just really fun things to help make road trips memorable. And we also had a billboard company, candy plant, a distribution center. We were fully integrated and he did create what I think can be fairly assessed as an empire, a roadside empire, but he sold the company in 1964. Actually, he remained involved in the company until his death in 1977, but he sold it. And really after his death is when it lost the involvement of the Stuckey family. So that was pretty heartbreaking. And we saw the brand decline. The stores are almost all gone. So fast forward to 2019, I had a completely unexpected opportunity to buy the company. At that point, it was six figures in debt. There's only 13 original stores that are still operating of those 368. None of them are owned by the company itself. They're all licensed locations. So really what I bought was a brand. There were no physical assets to the company at all. No distribution center. There was a rented warehouse. All the candy was outsourced. The pecan groves that we have are just owned independently by our family. The sign painting company long gone. All of that was gone. So it was kind of um, crazy. But people ask me, why, why did you do this? Why did you buy the company? And the answer is so simple. It was for sale. <laughs> it was for sale. And, and then, you know, more emotional. And certainly I think a lot of people in the farming industry relate to this because often farms are passed down from generation to generation. And, you know, the deeper emotional connection is that I loved my grandfather and I didn't want his legacy to be a bunch of shuttered stores on the side of the highway that people would kind of point at and say, remember what that used to be. I, I wanted it to be, oh my gosh, have you heard about this amazing comeback story? I wanted to change our story. And it's so rare you get the chance to buy your family's business and bring it back to life. And what a blessing and an honor that's been. But it was totally unexpected. <laughs> Well, and that I think connects really nicely to our audience, obviously blueberry growers and our blueberry industry kind of hearing that history and also the change that you clearly have gone through. And I think the vision that you're casting there is, you know, one of whether or not roadside stores continue to be a primary distribution because, you know, the future of fossil fuel or cars, there are things changing, but your vision for the company is is back to its roots, back to, you know, that product on the farm coming into, you know, a CPG or a product that's available. And it sounds like you're thinking about beyond roadside stores. You're looking at big retail box and uh, maybe talk a little bit more about that yeah. vision of your future for where it goes. So it's not here. just the future, it's the present. 
like I said, we're in Ingalls, we're in Food Lion, we're in some Piggly Wigglies. Most of those are going to be independently owned and operated. So we're getting into those one by one. We're in Ace Hardware stores. We're in hotel gift shops. I would love to get into some hospital gift shops. That's an opportunity that we've started to pitch. We're in some museum gift shops. We're partnering with people who do gift basket companies and weddings and events where they put together a welcoming basket. We're online. So there's so many opportunities out there, not just for pecans, but for people in the produce industry where people want fresh, healthy ingredients and we can bring that to them. And more and more, I mean, my background is in the environment as an environmental attorney. And you look at what has the greatest impact on our environment and it's often shipping product and shipping our food clear across the country. And here we have so many resources in our own country growing blueberries. I'm going to say onions because that's a product that Georgia grows a lot of and Vidalia especially, but also it's National Onion Day. Oh, is it? Today's National Onion Day. Yeah, we're recording this June 27th. So hooray for onions. But I just feel like we're all in this produce club where we are supporting farm fresh food that's going straight to your table and you can eat our pecans just like you can eat blueberries just raw and they're delicious or you can put them in recipes and pecans aren't just for baking we're not just for pies we're for salads i feel like we say the same things yeah we're more than pancakes (laughs) we're more than pies you know granola right blueberries and pecans can go so well together in so many different ways you can put us both on a charcuterie board i love the way i'm personifying it us but it's true and and that's so good for our environment for our health for our economy it's supporting local farmers it's the freshest ingredients you can find anywhere is just raw produce in your diet okay well let's pause here for a moment i want to share more about what insights you're gathering from consumers and what that means for the blueberry industry but first it's time for our crop report we have regions throughout north america harvesting every week this time of year so here once again is your blueberry crop report it's time for your blueberry crop report an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas today you'll hear from tj hafner in oregon alan schreiber in washington brody schropp in michigan jason smith in british columbia Mario Ramirez in Mexico, and Jody McPherson in North Carolina. This was recorded on July 12th, 2023. Uh, this is TJ Hafner doing the crop report for Oregon. Temps this past week were fairly warm with temperatures in the mid 80s, uh, nighttime temps in the mid 50s. The rest of this week looks similar, and the end of this week and over the weekend will be reaching into the low to mid 90s, it looks like. Uh, calling for 95 degrees on Saturday. Duke is wrapping up. Harvest of Draper is going to be starting up real soon. I have heard some other growers have already began. Blue Ribbon Legacy Top Shelf will be starting up harvest next week. Calypso is a bit of a surprise this year. It seems to be probably 10 to 14 days ahead in comparison to some of the other varieties. It's coming on a lot quicker than we expected and will likely be starting harvest by the end of next week as well. Quality so far has been good. We're seeing some sizing issues, especially in Draper. Also some sunburn from the the heat wave about 10 days ago. We're going to have more fruit going to IQF than what we wanted this year because the demand hasn't been enough. The packers have been pushing back a bit on receiving too much fruit. This has made it where there's more labor available because of that, it seems like. That's pretty much the gist of it from here in Oregon. 
Then Eastern Washington, Duke uh, harvest is pretty much wrapped up. Uh, everyone is is into Draper. I would say Draper and mid-season varieties, but we don't have much mid-season varieties other than Draper in Eastern Washington. Uh, it's been somewhere between hot and warm. It's going to be warm. It's going to be in the 90s. It's going to be dry. Uh, we actually had some precipitation uh, Monday morning, which is unusual. That's the first precipitation we've had in three months. You know, harvest is, is proceeding. A lot of fruits coming off. Labor's adequate. Harvest uh, is in is now in full swing in southeast Washington. Uh, there started fresh harvest in western Washington. The west side has has had some warmer weather, and it's it's brought fruit along. I'm going to say mid and later season varieties are going to be like on time. Um, I had not heard Calypso being early where we are, but that's interesting. I know they're talking about in some places having sizing issues, attributing it to some warmer weather during pollination or based some warm weather in, in May. Insect pressure, disease pressure is pretty low, but, you know, they are making SWD applications. Uh, that's uh, the Washington report. Story shop out of Michigan. Things are clicking around here. We're uh, kind of entering in our first pick blue crop and, and envoy picks. So for the next three weeks, will will be a lot of guys' biggest volume weeks of the season. We're also kind of getting into the second dip pick of Duke in Van Buren County. And then uh, for the northern growers in Ottawa County, it's kind of the first pick there. We're expecting some kind of uh, effect on size. So we had a drought this spring, and we're thinking that's going to come through and, and diminish size for our Duke and potentially our blue crop uh, later picks. Uh, quality's been good, and the abundancy of labor has uh, made our pick go by quickly, and guys are, are flying through it. We saw some Japanese beetle emerge last week, uh, but uh, with our routine SWD sprays, we're expecting not a problem. That's it for me. Thank you guys very much. Good morning, everyone. Jason Smith reporting for British Columbia. We've had similar weather to Western Washington. It's been kind of nice. It has been somewhat cooler we are going to heat up going into the weekend there is uh hand harvest going on uh, i haven't really seen machines out there much yet i see a lot of machines guys getting them ready moving them to fields and stuff but nothing really going in there may be a bit of it going on in the eastern valley uh and duke just getting going but um Really, I think we're, it's kind of the calm before the storm. We're just kind of going into, you know, picking up in the Duke and stuff over the next week or so. Definitely sizing in some cases does look challenging. Uh, a lot of the first stuff looks like it's a decent size, but whether everything else after will continue to size, hopefully probably not going to put my machine in for about 10 days somewhere there and then other varieties will continue harvesting after the new crop doesn't look like it what it i guess could have been should have been by any means but uh some of the mid-season later varieties look uh quite a bit better yeah with that that's my crop report Hello everyone here, the report for Mexico for week 27. This week, the, the volumes are still low. 
the, their exportation volume was the hundred thousand pounds of fresh blueberries. That that to all the world, and ninety six percent goes to North America. It is seven hundred eighty thousand pounds, and another twenty eight thousand pounds to other destinations, including Europe and Asia, Japan, and United Kingdom and Netherlands as the main destinies. From the total volume, 20,000 pounds where was organic blueberries, it is 2%. And this with the volume decrease, 41% respecting week 26. For frozen blueberries, the, the volumes decreased to 88%. The volume was just 7,000 pounds. And that go, that means less than 1% of the total United States imports for frozen blueberries. The, this week in course is the last of the season. So the volumes will be still low, maybe until next month. That's all in my report. I think for North Carolina, we had a with what would be a record crop production wise. I, I'm waiting. I've spoken with a couple other shippers. They're trying to wrap up the process, get the process numbers in. So I would still say our numbers are, are, would reflect, should exceed uh, at 40 million to 40 million to 45 million pounds, combination of fresh and processed. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insights Center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry business, including USDA shipping price, movement, retail category performance, retail sales reports, and much, much more. Make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Okay, let's get back to today's episode with Stephanie Stuckey. Stephanie You've taken steps to revive this brand, this direction that's you know different than the past, but similar in its start. So what are the tactics you're using today? How do we get that message out? Like the, the we you're talking about, you know, for pecans or blueberries, how are you doing it? Like what, what's the strategy that you're seeing to be the most success or enjoying? Storytelling. Yeah, just telling stories. And I think people want to connect with the food that they're eating. They want to know where does it come from? There's this great episode of this show on TV, Portlandia. I don't know if you've seen the episode where they go to this restaurant and they ask, where did our cow come from? It may have been a chicken, but you know, it's like, where did our meat come from? And they're like, oh, well, the cow had a name and you can come visit. And then they transport to the farm and they're like, we want to see exactly where the cow came from. And that's an exaggeration, but it really isn't. In many ways, I want to know where my food comes from. I, I want to know the farmer. I go to farmer's markets for my own groceries. So I, I think that's the trend. It's supporting America. It's supporting rural communities. It's supporting our farmers. Well, and where I run across your message the most, and, and it's you know probably no surprise to my audience because we use this platform to promote this podcast, but you do a great job on LinkedIn. And I don't know if that's a, a primary strategy or a primary platform for you, but that storytelling that I see you share, you know, I catch myself uh, reading those often as you post them. And, and maybe you're posting on Instagram and Facebook too. And I don't, I just don't see those like I see 
what you're posting on LinkedIn. But maybe you could talk, you know, from your vantage point as the CEO, you do a really good job leveraging, I think, social media probably in general, but maybe give us a sense on how you're using those platforms to tell your story. LinkedIn is my sweet spot. I have over 120,000 followers. Quite a few of my posts get a million views and engagements. And every major account that we've landed with a large chain has been as a result of a LinkedIn post. So I am living proof that this works. I think a lot of your listeners and your members are probably like Stuckies. Sometimes people approach us and ask for donations and they're like, oh, can you sponsor us for $100,000 or $10,000? I just want to choke. I'm like, we're a scrappy comeback brand. We don't have a marketing firm. I can't afford social media influencers. It's me out there because I can afford myself. So I'd like to be able to convey to folks out there that if you don't have a budget and it's just you, you don't have a marketing person, you can do it because that's what we're doing. And it's just telling stories. And I, I read a lot. And I read this great book by a man named Ted Wright. He's a marketing professional and it's called Fizz Marketing. It's about word of mouth marketing. And I liked it so much that I reached out to Ted. He joined our board and he's now an investor and one of two business partners. So I, full disclosure, Ted Wright is now one of my business partners, but he didn't start out that way. I started out as a fangirl reading his book and I highly recommend it because it's all about word of mouth marketing. It's basically a professional marketer who is responsible for the Paps Blue Ribbon comeback so that's why I chose his book. I thought, well, if he could do that for Paps Blue Ribbon, maybe his book will help me figure out how to do it for Stuckies. And it's about creating stories that are shareable. And the book has a great acronym in there. So every story that you post should have air. And that stands for authentic, interesting, and relevant. So the story needs to be real, but it doesn't have to be like every little detail because you're telling a story, but it needs to be grounded in reality for people to find it interesting. And interesting also, you think about, well, who's your audience? Who do I want to attract, right? So for Stuckies, we want to attract other businesses that could sell our product. And we also want to attract potential customers. So how do we tell a story that might be interesting and engaging to our target audience and then make it relevant? It has to be relatable and shareable. And then you don't just stop with a story. You see who comments and then you engage with the comments, right? It's about engagement. It's not about getting likes. It's about getting authentic engagement. I think often authentic gets overused, but it's being grounded in reality and grounded in something that's really honest about your brand. So my team was talking today about some of the social media channels we admire. And they said, oh, well, we think Wendy's is great. We think Steakums is great. And those are both good sites I highly recommend. But they have very different voices from Stuckies. And I just think you need to know, like, what is your brand story? Wendy's is sassy and sarcastic. Steakums has this, like, philosophical meanderings that I just love to read their post, but it's not Stuckies. So know what your brand is and be authentic in sharing those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've appreciated the opportunity to grab you for this sit-down discussion. If I were to press a little bit further in an area that I'd be curious about from your perspective is, as you look at the future of agriculture, as you think about you know the challenges our farmers face, the 
opportunities that are ahead because there are so many more people that are looking for that what you're describing the healthy food the opportunity to uh, uh, serve almost a global audience of people who i was just returning from a trip in japan where i could see as blueberries we were underserving as a category in the produce department there so i would just love to get your perspective on on the future forward for agriculture if you've got a thought on you know where things are going and what we should be looking for and the trends you see there Well, there's good and bad, right? There's mixed, I think. And I don't want to get into an environmental debate, but the reality is there's a lot of severe weather that impacts crops. It's been hard on the industry writ large. And Georgia's had its share. We had Hurricane Michael that devastated almost all of Georgia's pecan crop. We went for the first time since the 1950s from being the number one state for pecan production to, I think we were the number three for a year or two there. We're back up to number one. But Being in an industry that's connected to the land, you're always going to be vulnerable to weather and to drought and to, you know, some circumstances that are beyond your control. And I think that vulnerability breeds resilience as well. I think there's an opportunity for us to just say, this is how we, we learn to be stronger. But that is a trend that has always been around and that is just ever present, just knowing that we've got these challenges related to the weather. But the opportunities that lie ahead for us, and this was something we learned during COVID, a lot of people stayed in and cooked. So more and more, I think there's an opportunity in grocery and home delivery. People learn to embrace home delivery. The great thing, like I said earlier about pecans and blueberries, you can eat them raw. So it's very easy to prepare a meal and include either one of our ingredients. So that's definitely a trend. And then the health trends, I just see that continuing stronger and stronger. People are living longer, they're living healthier, they're paying attention to to where their food comes from. And that's something that helps helps us. And I should know more about how much y'all export, but obviously there's a huge opportunity there. We are suffering in the pecan business from some tariff restraints, but that's improving. Yeah. Well, and I think we have to, I mean, certainly in the blueberry business, it's something that there's a lot of opportunity for because, you know, like pecans, you know, blueberries are native to North America. So not all of the world has really enjoyed this amazing piece of fruit like North America has. And so the word's getting out and not not that people around the world haven't heard of blueberries, but there are just some places that just don't consume them, whether it's due to supply or economics. You know, our ability to transport the fruit into places is also difficult. So there's a lot of, of things that as an industry, we still need to overcome. And we're working on those challenges and those barriers. But the consumer is always kind of what we keep focused on. And I think you you clearly do too. We talk a lot about delighting the consumer in our industry. And and so maybe you could talk a little bit about what you've learned from the consumers since you've taken over Stuckey's and has what you've learned, you know, kind of being on the front lines of that understanding of what the consumers are reacting to and your product, have you learned in the effort to try to meet this new consumer where they're at with your brand? Well, we're evolving, so we're not entirely there yet. And I have an inclination, y'all are probably grappling with this too, but how do you attract millennials and younger generations with your product. For us, it's coming up with new flavor profiles. And that's something, it's easy to say, yeah, we want to have habanero, lime, chili pepper, and incorporate more seasonings that would appeal not only to a younger audience, but a more diverse audience and a more global and international audience. Those are all things that we want to see. 
in both of our industries, but actually making it happen is harder, right? Because we've got to come up with the spice blend. We've got to get the new packaging. We've got to get the new ingredient. We've got to get our production scaled so we can afford to continue our existing product lines that are doing really well and also add these new ones. So how do you just get your product out there to appeal to the new consumer, the younger consumer, the evolving consumer? That's something we're constantly exploring. And how do we come up with the recipes and the spokespeople? How do you come up with the recipes? I cook myself. I scour uh, social media. Lately, I've been seeing our pecans show up on charcuterie boards. Sometimes it's our pecans. Other times I'll just see on social media where someone has pecans on their charcuterie board and I'll message them and say, can I send you some free pecan samples to just try? And hey, if you like them, put them on your next charcuterie board. And so I'm trying to just figure out ways to get us to connect on a very scrappy budget. But it's working. I'm, the posts aren't out there yet, but there's a couple of social media folks who post about food that I've been in touch with. I'm trying to find the ones who are still building their audience, <laughs> who are happy to get some free product. Yeah, no, that's the way to go for sure. And uh, those kinds of uh, relationships can also light fires. So, you know, we certainly work with a lot of influencers that help us talk about blueberries. And so, you know, you'd be surprised at which, you know, even in a seasoned, experienced social media person may not have the same reach that somebody just starting out got because they caught lightning. And And we see that same kind of engagement kind of at that celebrity non-paid level where they're eating blueberries and you know we're not having to necessarily say anything about it but it sure is good when it does happen and i really appreciate your advice which is you know engage with that audience let them know that you know where they can find the find the blueberries in their store or in a product etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah i i'm excited for you i'm excited for where you're taking things as a company and as a leader so i you know again recognizing you know both the role you played in nashville and certainly as i see you uh embarking on the challenge that is entrepreneurship and business ownership and reviving a brand, it's inspiring and you're inspiring a lot of people. And I really appreciate what you're doing to your family's legacy and kind of how that past is being brought forward in a new way. So I appreciate this time today. But before I let you go, I just want to make sure, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Yeah. If you could please share my contact information in the show notes and I can give it right now. Really the best way to reach me, you can message me on LinkedIn, but I get a lot of spam on LinkedIn. So just email me, sstuckey at stuckies.com. Feel free to share that in the comments. If you want to do any sort of collab, let me know. We can do some recipes with stuckies and pecans and your blueberries. That'd be fun. That would be fantastic. And I've been talking yeah, that would be a lot the of Blueberry fun. Association about some collab opportunities. And we've done this. It's delicious. We've done a blueberry flavored pecan where you put blueberry flavoring on it. And it's absolutely delicious. So we're experimenting with that. So stay tuned. I think there's there's continued opportunities for us to work together. Well, I would love that. I know our industry would love that. And I know we were all very appreciative of the time you gave us in Nashville and then here again today. So Stephanie Stuckey, thank you so much for your time on the business of blueberries. We really appreciate what you're doing for pecans. And we look forward to working with you on a little blueberry project. That's right. Here. So thank you so thank much. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Well, that's it for episode 142. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.